Ladies and gents, John Mattis, host of Off the Post here. We'll get to the show in a minute. It's with Matthew Collar, one of my good buddies in the media game. He works for ESPN. Uh, we're going to talk about Christmas gifts as it pertains to NHL teams. Um, so on the other side of this intro, that's what you're going to get. Um, first of all, though, happy holidays um, to you and yours. And uh, if you can give me a gift, uh, just playing on this theme, uh, go to iTunes and subscribe to this podcast off the post. Uh, rate this podcast and uh, review this podcast. All that stuff would be a great gift to me uh, during the holiday season. You can also find uh, the podcast on on uh, on SoundCloud, on Stitcher, on anywhere podcasts are, are kept. Um, and also, just a reminder that this is the last podcast uh, until probably uh, probably December 31st when I'm at the World Juniors and, and we'll do sort of a pre-metal round World Juniors episode. Um, so going off the off the grid for a week and, and, and 10 days or whatever that math is, I'm recording this on Friday uh, the 22nd. So uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and uh, as always, thanks for listening, and uh, I think we got a good one for you here. From the center of the hockey universe, this is the Off the Post Podcast. Here with Matt Collar of 1500 ESPN in Minnesota. He covers the Wild, he covers the NFL's Vikings, and also he writes about the NHL for ESPN Insider. Matt is a, uh, a common guest, but he hasn't been on in a few months. Uh, a friend of the show, good guy, and uh, we're, do- we're going to do a holiday-themed episode today. And I couldn't think of a jollier guy that I know than Matt. Matt, how's it going? Uh, I never really put myself in the category of being a jolly guy. I think you're the first person to ever accuse me of that. But uh, okay, yeah, sure. I'm 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 in the spirit of giving today. Yeah, well, that's that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna give uh, ten NHL teams a Christmas gift, and I don't know. Maybe maybe we're giving them a Hanukkah gift. I don't know. It doesn't really matter what 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 you celebrate, but we're giving them a gift because it's the holidays, and that's what people do. Um, uh, maybe we'll stick with Santa. I think I think most people are into Christmas. Um, so, Matt, the main, the main point of this is to just look at teams and go, like, what is their gaping hole? Or, like, you know, maybe it's just a, a fact of, 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 you know, catching a break. This team really needs to catch a break. Uh, you know, you're going to cover the Western Conference for us and do five teams. I'll do five in the East. Why don't we start with you because I'm such a good host and I want to throw you under the bus. Get, give me a Western team and what you'd give them for Christmas. Well, I, I think the best place to start for me with this is Minnesota because uh, I'm here. Uh-huh. And, uh, haven't I haven't covered as much Minnesota Wild like going to games uh, as I will in the second half of the season after the Vikings are done. But you know, keeping a, a, a close eye on this franchise over the last two years since they hired Bruce Boudreaux, it's kind of the same problem that they've had for a long time, where they've been competitive. And they're a playoff team. They might or might not be this year. They've gotten a little more hot lately. But they never really strike you as a team that could win the Stanley Cup. And last year they had probably the best team that they've had in in quite some time, and they still got eliminated in the first round by the St. Louis Blues. And this year they haven't gotten off to that hot of a start. And what I would get the Minnesota Wild for Christmas or any other holiday uh, at this time would be – a blockbuster trade, a franchise-changing trade, because this team 
has had basically the same core of players year after year doing the same exact thing year after year, just good enough but not actually good enough to win the Stanley Cup. Uh, I mean, they've changed a couple of things. You know, they brought in Eric Stahl, and he's been great since they brought him in, but it didn't really change where this franchise stands. And the trade that they made in the offseason to send Marco Scandella to Buffalo uh, has blown up in their face completely, as I expected it to, uh, because I had covered Foligno and Ennis in Buffalo and did not expect them to produce anything uh, really here in Minnesota. Uh, And so I, I think I would look at some of these core players that they've had, the Grandlins, the Charlie Coyles, and, and, and maybe say, all right, is there, you know, Jason Zucker, another example, is there a player out there, is there an opportunity out there to make a deal with some of these core players that just haven't worked, haven't gotten you over the top, that could really change what this team is and where they stand in the NHL. So that is what I am giving the Minnesota Wild. What uh, what what do you think could could happen though? Because if they you know if they give away a Zucker or Granlin, then they're losing uh, X amount of offense. If they give away Charlie Coyle, a young guy who probably hasn't you know hit his ceiling yet, um, obviously I guess uh, they'd like to. I don't know. I don't. What, what would what would they want in return? Is it is it defense help? Where are you where are you seeing this going as your as your uh, idea? I think what you really need is a player that when it comes to playoff time, you know is going to be good. Because a lot of times what you have here is ups and downs from everybody. Zucker's hot, then Zucker's cold. Charlie Coyle is hot, then he's cold. And I know that that works for a lot of players, but these are one-dimensional kind of guys. Right. I think this team expected Charlie Coyle to be much more than that over the years, but he has not been. Um, so you've got you know one-dimensional goal scorer, one-dimensional goal scorer, how about a guy who can impact every single game? Uh, and I don't have a, a trade dialed up exactly, but you know maybe move out some of the guys who have proven exactly what they are, uh, especially for for more center depth. You know, at one time I think um, this team believed that Mikael Granlund would be their number one center, but instead, uh, you know, he's a winger and he produces to some extent, and he's pretty good on the power play, but. He's not the superstar that I think uh, they believed he was going to be. So a game-changing center is on the top of the list. I know that those are very hard to get, but um, if you were talking about you know maybe sending multiple pieces to get a player, and I'm thinking of kind of like the Duchesne trade. It hasn't worked out for okay. Ottawa, but something like that, where that's a game-changing player. You take a big swing that might change the course of your franchise. Uh, Taylor Hall to uh, the Devils is an example. There's a there's a player who immediately changed their franchise with a trade. So it's not impossible. I think you see them all the time. Uh, Seth Jones for Ryan Johansson. You know these sort of hockey trades that bring in uh, players that completely alter the course of the franchise. And the Wild really have not done that over the years. They've trusted this core, and I think this core has proven that they're not really going to win. And what what their plan was originally was to have Zach Parise be this guy, be the game-breaker, uh, you know, be the guy that they can count on in, in the in the overtime session, in the playoffs. And, you know, he as he's aged, it, he's declined uh, pretty significantly, and he's dealt with a lot of injuries. Um, but he's still, like, his cap hit is massive. And then Ryan Suter, uh, they they obviously signed those those matching deals for in, in, in double digits in years. 
um, way back when, and, and Suter, you, you can probably justify his contract. But Parise, like, that, that's a contract that's going to haunt this franchise for a long time. And, uh, you know, aside from that, he's just – he's not even producing at, at, a, at a, you know, at any sort of level that, that makes it at least, you know, ah, okay, we can, we can take that, that cap hit. It's like, no, this, this is a really bad contract, and you're also wasting um, a valuable space with, with Zach Parise not doing much. Yeah, I mean, this year where he's had the back injury and you know that that's been a problem for years and he finally decided to have surgery, but it's kind of been the same thing with, you know, he's going to miss time here or there, he's going to go through stretches where it's bothering him, and now, I mean, maybe that this back surgery will help, but anytime we're talking about back injuries, uh, you always kind of expect that's the beginning of the end for a player when you start saying, all right, he's going to undergo back oh, yeah. surgery, that's a pretty big deal. A, a huge deal for a guy that's five foot ten or five foot eleven and has made his bones by grinding. I still think that he's a very good player, uh, considering his all around impact, but nothing like the Zach Parisi, who was a top five player in the NHL for maybe two or three years there when he was in New Jersey. And the cap hit does make it a big challenge, uh, but I, I think that there are opportunities to work around it. Um, there. Are, is a conversation about uh, the cap going up at some point here, eventually, finally, uh, maybe getting a, getting a boost. So I, I think that there are some, probably some opportunities to work around that. And, and really what you have with this wild roster is there are guys in their prime who would be valuable on the trade market. And one of them, I think that the wild missed an opportunity to trade uh, Jonas Brodine in the offseason, that there was probably a lot of uh, – teams out there who would have looked at him especially after a good year last year and said oh this guy's the your your Nicholas Jarmelson or you know he's your shutdown guy mm-hmm. and he's not really that he's just kind of another guy out there but I think his value would have been pretty high on the market um, and then you know the guys like Coyle can you get one team to believe that Charlie Coyle will hit his ceiling as you mentioned I, I mean I don't believe that and after last year, he had a hot start and then faded. And, and I thought, okay, it's the same old Charlie Coyle. But I think Marcus Foligno proves to us that the first impression that a general manager has can sometimes be the one they keep for years. Because things that Chuck Fletcher said about Marcus Foligno have not applied in a very, very long time since basically he broke in the league. But Fletcher said, oh, I've been chasing him for years. <laughs> okay, well, there, is there one GM out there who's really sold on someone like Charlie Coyle or someone like Jason Zucker or, or someone like Mikhail Granlund uh, because they saw him in the Olympics or something that could make a big deal there. Um, I, I think it's, it's time to finally do that now that this team is sort of sputtering around. I can understand sticking with what they had last year because they were a truly competitive team, but now um, I, I think it's, it's time for them uh, to make some sort of move that's going to give them a, a better chance to win. And you know what? If it blows up in their face, then, oh, well, right? You're already kind of at the bottom yeah. of the central division, and then you can kind of start from scratch there. They've got a couple of good prospects they could turn the, the ball over to and start thinking young uh, because right now this team is just floating around in the middle and not really relevant. Let's head over east, and I was going to start with the Leafs or the Senators – sexier teams than than the one I'm going to talk about but I see some similarities between the Carolina Hurricanes and the Minnesota Wild based on having a core that there's nothing wrong with the core but they're missing the top end forwards they're missing the high end finishers 
um, and you're really seeing it in Carolina this year. So what I want to give them for Christmas is one, I guess some some fairy dust or some 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 magic scoring luck because not only are they the best Corsi team in the league, which hey that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win the Stanley Cup, but it usually means you're playing pretty good hockey. Um, they're fourth in expected goals. Uh, what's really killing them is their special teams, both both 28th in the league. But no one's scoring for this team. And I wouldn't say it's a huge surprise, but I think um, coming into the season, many had them pegged, uh, including myself, as, as, a, as a team that would sneak into the playoffs and start to, to really build towards something special. Um, they have great defensemen, uh, you know, under 25 years of age, pretty much their whole top six. Um, they have a lot of interesting pieces up front uh, that's that's anchored by by Jeff Skinner, a very underrated goal scorer. But you, you look at what they've done in the in the you know the first 40 percent of the season, and you know you have Skinner with 12 goals, you have Lindholm with 10, and then it just completely drops off after that. And there's a there's a luck factor, hence hence the fairy dust. Uh, they're they're 26 and five on five shooting percentage. Um, with at seven percent, that's pretty pretty low for a team, um, and they're they're only winning thirty seven percent of their one goal games. So there's definitely a luck factor, um, and also their goaltending has not performed a, as expected. Everyone thought, oh, what a great signing, Scott Darling. Underlying numbers look great. He's played seventy five games in in the NHL and and you know held his own. He should he should be a good signing for for the Carolina Hurricanes. Four years, about sixteen million. And, he, you know, the team as a whole has been at the, in the bottom five or, or six in, in save percentage all year. And it's it's cost them a few games. And, you know, they're, they're somehow only three points out of a playoff spot uh, because because of all those OT losses and those one goal games. Uh, you know, that, that that piles up if you're you're actually an extra time. But, man, they it, it's sort of the same old story with them. It's like, OK, they control play, but they just they can't seem to win a lot of games and they can't seem to go on extended runs that that guarantee them a playoff spot and i mean if they don't if they don't make the playoffs this year it's it's pretty disappointing considering um, what's going on in their underlying data and also the expectations coming into the year yeah i wish them a new coach a new um, coach oh i like this yeah absolutely a new coach i mean after year after year of the same thing with what you're saying the same thing with the Corsi percentage is high, meaning they're taking a ton of shot attempts. The save percentage is very low, and the shooting percentage is very low. Well, this you know sounds a lot like, outside of the save percentage point, it sounds a lot like the Kings for a while. Yeah. And it worked for a little bit, but then when the roster deteriorated a little bit for the Kings, then all of a sudden you know they couldn't make playoffs anymore, and then they changed coaches. And all of a sudden this year, the Kings are 15th in Corsi percentage, but does anybody want to tell me that the Kings aren't way better? I mean, you know, the, the Corsi percentage thing, I think that the way that the league has changed with a lot of teams playing up-tempo, fast, playing for one big scoring chance as opposed to lots of attempts, uh, I think it's telling us less than it's ever told us before, right? I mean, the top teams in Corsi percentage, Carolina, Boston, Edmonton, San Jose. Are any of those teams good? I mean, <laughs> you know, it, even Calgary, Chicago, Dallas is not that good. Pittsburgh's not that good. You have to get to the ninth Corsi team in the league to find an actual good NHL team. And I think that that you know, was sort of the case last year, too, with a lot of the top Corsi teams not being that great. Because I think some coaches 
that's that becomes their strategy when they don't believe they have a lot of high-end scoring skill yeah, is, yeah. well, we're going to take a lot of shots and we're going to shoot from everywhere. But I don't really see that succeeding in Carolina. And this goaltending thing, when you have three, four, five different goaltenders that you bring in over the years, you know, Cam Ward, Eddie Lack, and now Scott Darling, and none of them can play anymore when they were playing in other, in other spots like Eddie Lack and, and Scott Darling, you start to look at, okay, what's going on with the system here because you have uh, defensemen on this team that I think are pretty good. So I, I think it's time for a change there because it's just the same old story. And I, I, it amazes me the people who analyze the game from an analytic standpoint who keep selling Carolina. Oh, Carolina, they're coming, they're coming. No, they're not. <laughs> and, and they haven't been for a long time. And I just am really baffled by this. But the Corsi percentage, they're coming. Nope, that shooting percentage isn't going anywhere. If, if I was going to give them something, though, I, not only a new coach, I would also give them some money to work with. I mean, that's another point, too, <laughs> yes. that, you know, I think that they've done a decent job of putting together a roster that I think someone else could probably win more games with, but they can't sign anyone in the offseason, basically. I mean, they bring back uh, Justin Williams, but they, I mean, they can't sign anyone because they have no money. So, uh, you know, it, they've, picked, they've picked good players. They've got uh, high draft picks year after year. They've got some talent on the roster. I think it's time to make a change and see if somebody can get something out of it. Yeah, you're seeing the change, obviously, in, in L.A. It's been well documented with Daryl Sutter leaving the team, you know, coming out and saying, we're going to play a different style. And then they've done that this year, and there's been results. So you do wonder if, you know, uh, there's always that kind of cliche where a player goes to a new team, they get their fresh start, and all of a sudden uh, things start working out for them. And maybe it works, you know, with coaches. If you if you get a new coach in that room and a new system with the same players, maybe there's different results, and, and, and maybe it is a Bill Peters thing. I don't know. Um, like, they have really good, really high expected goals, which, which I think is more trustworthy these days than – than Corsi so that's where I sort of like their special teams is awful so maybe that's the starting point both are 28th in the league and last year their their penalty kill was like at one point historically dominant so something's happened there uh you know someone would have to do a deep dive to find out exactly what's going on but um I'm not as low as you on the Hurricanes but I do see where you're coming from where there comes a time when you know if 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 your if your shot attempt differential is always through the roof but you're not scoring goals or not winning hockey games, you know, maybe it's time to to go a different route with, with strategy. Okay, l- let's move on to a second Western Conference team. Go. Oh, okay. Sorry, the one last thing I was going to add yeah, on yeah. the uh, Carolina Hurricanes is that they have the seventh-worst PDO this year. They had the fifth-worst PDO last year, and they had the worst PDO two years ago. Yeah, that says so a lot. Like, three years in a row of not scoring and not getting save percentage, to me, that's a coach issue. Yes, that's, that's, that's systemic for sure. Yeah, that's that's what you're doing for the system. And I, and I don't think we ever give enough credit when we analyze players' numbers to their circumstances, yep. how, they're being, how they're being used, what the system is. And that's the thing is, like, every team plays different systems – and yet we sort of analyze them all on the same plane. Well, this guy's got this Corsi, and this guy's got this even strength scoring. And it's, you know, sometimes we look at, oh, well, you know, Bailey's playing with Tavares, so obviously he's going to score more. We recognize that, but we don't recognize enough 
we don't recognize enough, I think, how systems impact it. And Dustin Brown's a great example. I mean, right. that guy just looked – he looked done over the last few years, and now he looks he looks great. Yeah, we're recording um, this on so, Friday, and he scored uh, the overtime goal in his thousandth game last night and overall has had a, a pretty pretty good bounce-back year. Yeah, and, and it looked like Kopitar was fading, but then now Kopitar is right back up to – megastar level play so i mean i i just think that that makes a huge huge difference in any time you analyze it um using the numbers i will go las vegas i will go anything but regression (laughs) i like it i like it i can get behind that yeah anything but regression because I am enjoying their story. I just, uh, you know, expansion team with a bunch of guys who nobody wanted, and now here they are uh, competing, and it's it's fun. They win all their home games, it seems. So I, I think it's it's great for the league to have this story. Um, and then I, I wrote about this the other day. Now I'm fascinated to see what they do at the trade deadline. Yes. Right, is, is it now an all-in type of situation where you – try to make a big trade do you take all of those assets that you built up during the expansion draft and try to trade them for oliver ekman larson or something or eric carlson or i mean i don't know these some of these big names are getting bounced around in in trade rumors and this is a team who has just stacked assets they drafted three guys in the first round they've got i think nine or ten draft picks over the next two years in the first two rounds i mean it wouldn't it be great if they were right there at the top of the Pacific Division and then they traded two of the first-round picks from this year and, I don't know, somebody else and got ekman Larson, and all of a sudden it's like it's on and they're going for it in their first year. Something like that, I could picture these scenarios, would be super fun for the league. But, I mean, it, I don't want to put a damper on, on the party, but is it worth it for George McPhee and his group to go in all in on this season, I understand that the chances of them making the playoffs are very high. So they're I I don't expect them to sell at the deadline by any means. But you know, do, do they want to get caught up in the moment and and go for go for the big the big fish? Mind you, if you get an Ekman Larson, that means you know you sign him long term and, and it ends up being you know a long term play. But I I don't think going any sort of rental route is is smart. Well, yeah, that that's right. You're you're 100 percent right because I, I think the the smart play, if you were thinking, all right, this is a 10 year plan or five year plan, what you do is okay, we're in second place, but someone is going to offer me something, uh, so, uh, something for James Neal, like at the deadline. Yeah, like James Neal's got a high shooting percentage, and you know, likely that he's not going to produce the same in the second half. There's no reason to resign him because he's on the older side. But then it, it, it kind of takes the wind out of the sails for your fan base if you trade away. Like, there's a really good argument for trading away James Neal at the deadline if someone's going to give you a first-round pick because we know that teams will do that. If somebody traded a first-round pick for Martin Hansel last year, they'll trade one this yes, year for absolutely. Uh, James Neal. Especially who else is out there for scoring? I mean, Evander Kane, but you know, I think people are expecting uh, to overpay for him. So Neal's going to be one of the top guys on the list. That's that's the smarter play. Get yourself another first-round pick, another swing at a great player. Um, but if you were able to kind of play best of the both worlds to bring in a superstar with a rare opportunity of a team that's not going to be able to re-sign a guy long-term, then you know maybe maybe you decide to make that play and say, well, if we have Oliver Ekman-Larsen for the next eight years, 
we're going to be pretty darn good. Um, and maybe it's worth giving away a couple of prospects. I don't know. I, I, I'm really, really interested to see what George McSee is going to do, whether he's going to stay the course, go all in, or say, you know what, we're going to sell anyway because we know that um, you know, we're, we're not going to win the Cup. But I think they should also, if I was offering them another present, I would say a long-term contract for Jonathan Marcheseau. Yes, absolutely. Give that man his money. <laughs> Give that man his money. I like it. That should be your catchphrase on, on radio. <laughs> um, yes, I, I don't think I have to go in-depth about about him and how the, the Florida Panthers handled him and uh, Riley Smith uh, around the, the expansion draft because they've just been a gift to the Vegas Golden Knights and a big reason why they're doing so well. You can look at William Carlson, uh, Colin Miller, Alex Tuck. Like You can go up and down the list. Everyone's contributing. That's kind of the, the story there in Vegas is that there's all these guys who were marginalized elsewhere uh, with a chip on their shoulder and getting ice time and, you know, for the most part, really seizing it. Um, and and Marcusilla is is kind of the, the prime example because he's been doubted. He hasn't really played a ton in the NHL overall. Uh, spent some time in the minors, and then whenever he's been in in the National Hockey League, though, he's done nothing but produce. So you you hope that that guy gets paid, and uh, I would I would imagine he does, and that this is the time that he finally gets his due. Um, I'm going to give myself credit for Jonathan Marcusilla uh, because when he was. In the American Hockey League, I was covering him, and uh, he was shredding the Rochester Americans uh, every time that they played. So when uh, one particular team signed him in free agency for 650000 or something like that, uh, I sent one of their people a message saying, I, I think you've got something there if you give him some time. And then, you know, he's turned out to be great. So if you, uh, if you enjoy going to those Toronto Marlies games, Sometimes uh, if you, you can spot some of the guys that are going to be uh, the underrated players, like uh, had a chance to see like Vincent Trocek, who was a third-round yeah. pick. He ripped up the AHL. Uh, Kucherov was a second-round pick, those guys. So one of the things that I really enjoyed about covering minor league hockey was when you see a guy, you think, oh, maybe there's something there, even though he's only 5'10", and then he becomes really good. Yeah, you see, that, you see a glimpse of the brilliance, and you're like, mm, I, think, I think this is going to turn to something special. Um, let's transition to the Detroit Red Wings. I am going to give them a bunch of losses. I think, uh, <laughs> I think, uh, I think that's what they need in their life right now. Um, I think, it, you know, the, the season has, it started off pretty, you know, if we're talking wins and losses, started off well, maybe got, uh, Ken Holland a little, um, excited about, about what was going on. And then they sort of came back to reality, came back to earth. Um, but now, you know, a, you know, losing a bunch of one-goal games, uh, getting blown out here and there, would would do the the franchise a lot of good. Uh, I think I think it's kind of tank time for them. Uh, they already have a minus fifteen goal differential, so it's not like they're uh, they're they're almost near the playoffs. With you know, they're seven points out of the playoffs right now, um, and there's a bunch of teams to leap over. And it's 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 been a long time coming for this organization to really realize that it's time to press the reset button and they have to an extent it's not like they're walking around thinking they're stanley cup champions but um if they can lose a couple games here and there you know quote unquote by accident or or whatever uh you know by playing a uh, you know a third string goalie or something i think that would that would go a long way um and you wonder we're talking about the deadline uh do they trade a goalie do they trade jimmy howard or, or peter morazic 
do they trade Hendrik Zetterberg, which seems crazy, which seems bizarre, especially because he has a, a pretty big contract. But stranger things have been done. I mean, David Clarkson's been contract has been traded. David Boland's uh, contract has been traded. So you never know. Um, who's, uh, who's Chris Pronger playing for these days? Exactly. So the list goes on and on, and, and Zetterberg can actually play. Um, so if money comes back the other way, maybe it's a, an in and out thing. Um, Mike Green, a, a valuable asset. They they if they don't trade him at the deadline, I think that's a huge mistake. Um, and what it all leads to is is a couple of good pieces of of Anthony Mantha, Andres Athanasiu, Dylan Larkin, but that's pretty much it as their building blocks. And then you assume that they'll you know they'll get in the the lottery. Um, pick area by the end of the season, and maybe maybe a Dolan falls in their lap, maybe a Sveshnikov falls in their lap. So I think it's just a matter of uh, of just seeing this through the, the, this season that's that's lost, seeing it through, and uh, and really uh, refreshing, I guess, in the off season, and and not not retooling, refreshing, uh, pressing the reset button, and finally getting this organization sort of into a new era, so to speak. Do you think um, that hockey is the easiest sport for for a fan and media standpoint? If you're really paying attention and you know how to work the numbers a little bit and you just have some common sense, to see from the outside when something so blatantly is not going to work? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's pretty obvious. The Detroit Red Wings. I, I mean, the Detroit Red Wings are exactly this, and maybe it's just because you and I cover hockey so closely that you know we can tell when something's not going to go right baseball guys maybe when they have the same thing but i always kind of think that like the baseball teams are run by like super super smart people who have numbers that none of us have access to so when they make a weird move you might be like okay maybe you've got an argument for that but assigning like trevor daly is just one of the most absurd ridiculous decisions that i could ever fathom for an NHL GM, it's a it's a very small signing, but to sign a 34 year old defenseman to a three year contract for a team that had no chance of winning the Stanley Cup this season is just hysterically bad management. And 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 you're exactly right. I mean, they bring in Franz Nielsen last year for what reason? All these band aids, right? They're they're essentially guys, you know. Veteran guys that that maybe can contribute around the edges, or or in Nielsen's case, you know, he's a pretty good player or was in the past. So they were sort of win now moves, I guess you could say. When it should be, oh, we have this guy in the AHL. Maybe maybe let's try him out for you know thirty games a year, and and you know, well, he'll be our seventh defenseman as opposed to to just signing Trevor Daly. Yeah, I mean, Trevor Daly is a guy that you sign when your team has a chance to win the Stanley Cup. So that makes me think. Boy, they thought that they had a chance to win the Stanley Cup with this roster. I mean, that's just that's just crazy, I and mean, that's just nowhere close to what all of us could see from the outside. And you are a hundred percent right that they need to lose a couple of games, a lot of games, and they need to completely revamp the franchise around the younger players. And they need a, a top draft pick, a top three pick, if if they're going to have a chance to really start getting back in this race. And I know that they were trying to just hang on at the end of Henrik Zetterberg's career. But it's exactly the same mistake that Vancouver made. I mean, Vancouver signs Louis Erickson. For why? I mean, for, like, what what does that do for you? Louis Erickson isn't the type of player at 33 or 34 years old who was going to, you know, get you over the top and into the Stanley Cup final again. I mean, I know they're taking swings 
uh, the last years of uh, the two Sedins, but it was just never going to happen. So you might as well, like you're saying, you might as well just move on from Zetterberg and let him go try to win a cup with somebody else at the end and, and just start reworking this roster. And it, it seemed like super obvious going into the season that they had no real chance to compete, and here we are. Yeah, they're, I don't know. I, I pay attention to hockey a thousand times more than other sports, but it does seem to be common in hockey for GMs to make a lot of moves that just save their job for one more year, save their job for mm-hmm. one more year. Like you're seeing it in, in Detroit. And, and also another factor in Detroit is they have this new arena. So they're trying to, you know, sort of build up some, some excitement and get people, you know, coming to the rink and seeing the new, the new facilities and everything. But I feel like at this point, with what's going on in Toronto, with what's going on in Edmonton, you know, except for their sort of so-so year, um, in other places where they've rebuilt from from uh, a scorched earth um, state, like I feel like you can almost go and have a press conference and go, you know, we're 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 not going to win this year. We're going to sell assets and you know, give us a few years and we'll be right back up there being competitive. I think most fan bases will get that at this point because they most. You know, unless you're, you know, a super casual fan, you know, if if you're somewhat smart, if if you if you pay attention at all, you'll understand that that's how things work in the salary cap world. And I think um, some teams just need to be honest and 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 move forward in 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 a sort of a long term build perspective. Yeah, I think you're a hundred percent right, and I also think that um, you know this is kind of hurting Ken Holland, like his reputation as a really good general manager and i don't know how true that was ever i mean when you get uh pavel datsuk in his prime and nicholas lidstrom at the end or in his prime like you probably are going to win uh but that was the reputation is that he was a very smart general manager and some of these moves like you're saying they make it look like i'm just trying to hang on to my job so maybe we barely get in the playoffs and lose in the first round but at least i could say we made the playoffs but still, I mean, some of these moves, even the signing of Mike Green, I remember when that happened, a friend of mine said, oh, they signed him for three years at uh, for $6 million. I was like, oh, $2 million a year then. That's pretty <laughs> not good bad, not bad. Mike Green. Right? I mean, right? And that, no, no, $6 million a year. Like, are, are you kidding me? For a guy who's, you know, always had his the defensive shortcomings, has never been a, a true number one, and um, is, you know, in his 30s, like that's the guy they're giving six million dollars a year, so they have no cap flexibility either. I mean, it's been a, an incredibly poorly managed team, and uh, you very rarely see once a team ends its uh, its window, you very rarely see them just bounce back. And usually, if they do, it's only because they have you know an all world player or something like that that they just hadn't done a good job of building around. You know, like Pittsburgh. There was a time where it looked like Pittsburgh's window might be over, and then you know they started to fill out the roster a little bit with some good moves and a new coach, uh, for one, uh, that, that helped Sidney Crosby and Malkin. But this team right now, they have no Crosby and Malkin. I mean, Zetterberg's been pretty good at his age, but he's not that type of impact player, so that gives you no chance to win. Um, so I'm 100% with you on that one. Yeah, I think we've spent enough time talking about a, a team under 500 right now that shouldn't even be you know, close to 500. Like I think by the end they'll they'll be closer to 300 or so. Um, what what's another or uh, who, who's another Western Conference team that you want to talk about? Okay, well, since I just spent a lot of time 
on a general manager and uh, some mistakes he had made. I won't go. I won't go right now with uh, Edmonton. Maybe we'll address them later. <laughs> okay. uh, for right now, for right now, I'm going to go with the Colorado Avalanche. Okay. Yeah, and I want to give presents to teams that need them, uh, and I, I want to give it more to their fans than so much the organization. Patience. It's it's very hard to ask fans of the Colorado Avalanche for patience when they've seen their team look like one of the most promising teams in the league a few years ago and a team that was going to be a competitor for a cup final every year all of a sudden deteriorate and collapse and fall apart and then eventually now trade Matthew Shane. But there are good things coming, I think, for the Colorado Avalanche. Um, I think uh, Nathan McKinnon is playing like Nathan McKinnon should be playing over a point per game. Uh, Miko Rantanen uh, looks like a really nice young player. They've got, a, they've got a core here of a couple of guys that they should be able to build around, and they've started to stack up assets. And for them, nobody could have come out better in the Duchesne trade than them with all the assets that they pulled in. And I, I think that their rebuild is, is going to work if you add one more top player to it. And uh, I know that maybe Colorado fans have heard that before, um, but I think in this case they've got some better management and a better head coach and they've got a chance. So I am wishing them patience because I think even by next year they could be competitive. Yeah, last year was such a tire fire, and they it, it, it's its quite remarkable, even though the wins aren't there uh, this year, that, that they've actually looked like an NHL team. And look, I'm looking at their, their stats right now. Gabriel Landeskog, of all people, has 14 goals. I thought that he... You know, would never score more than ten goals again. Uh, so to to see him producing is is a huge plus. Um, I don't know if they're they're one core piece away because I don't know if I if I believe in their goaltending by the time that they get everything else in order uh, with Varlamov and and I don't know if he's gonna if he's going to uh, remain a pretty good starting goalie by the time um, you know mckinnon is 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 in his prime or 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 is is competing at the highest level rantanen and, and landis Cog and then whatever other pieces they add to have an actual um, competitive hockey team i don't know if if, if they're gonna regret uh you know l- losing uh picker to to vegas who's now with the leafs and, and playing in the ahl but i don't know they're, they're, i don't know if if uh, definitely patience they need patience but i don't know i don't know if i'm you know ready to say that their their rebuild is is on the up and up well, it hasn't gone perfectly, um, but, you know, they have a lot of cap space. They have a lot, you know, I mean, third most cap space in the league, and they're a team that, I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of every single team's ownership, but it seems like when there's an opportunity to pay somebody that they will. Uh, so over the next year, you could see some of their younger players um, becoming better. Uh, Rantanen is already very good, uh, but Tyson Jost also maybe a chance to take that next step. He's an exciting young guy. Um, I've always liked JT Comfer is another guy who might be able to take a step. So you, some of these guys get a little bit better. Yep. Uh, you sign a, you, you sign a defenseman who's an impact player. You know what I mean? Like you could see it um, kind of like with maybe the, the Maple Leafs uh, last year where we thought, oh, you know, they're two, three years away, and then they it turns out that they were a little bit ahead of schedule there. So that's kind of how I see Colorado. I mean, I wouldn't guarantee it uh, i wouldn't bet a whole ton of money that they're you know fighting for a stanley cup next year but i think in the playoff race 
is a fair expectation with the way that they've done this, especially if they can um, use some of that cap space to sign an impact player or two. Yeah, I mean, having Nathan McKinnon as your as your number one guy, as, as someone to build around, and he's only 22 still, I mean, that's that's a great starting point. Um, now, I, I don't have a good segue to, to this team, but I'm going to... I'm going to go with the Ottawa Senators. You know what they need? They need a slow news day. They need to stop making <laughs> headlines, and, and they need to just have a normal second half. A nor- I don't know if it's possible because Ottawa is kind of a weird market, um, but let me let me recap. So about a month or so ago, Eric Carlson responds to Drew Doughty's comments to uh, Craig Custance of The Athletic. Doughty had said, hey, me and Carlson, you know, we'll, we'll definitely be talking near free agency and, uh, you know, we'll, we, we're worth a lot of money. We're going to get that money. I'm obviously paraphrasing. Um, and then Carlson's asked about it. Carlson says, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not going to settle for a hometown discount. Um, so obviously that's going to create a, a lot of buzz. And, and he was just being honest. He didn't say anything controversial. Um, and then, you know, th- that sort of, you know, lingers. And then, and then Kyle Turris, uh, who had just been traded, uh, tells uh, the Canadian press that, ownership wanted him out of Ottawa or didn't want to re-sign him in Ottawa that that it wasn't he didn't have an issue with Pierre Dorian the GM but but ownership just they weren't on the same page so that becomes a big story um and then a few days later uh Melnick talks to my colleague uh, Bruce Garriock at the Ottawa Sun and says hey the team isn't for sale which was a rumor um he talks about how you know they're not in good financial state. They're going on these financial quote unquote road shows, um, which is never a good thing to hear if you're a Senators fan. Um, and then he also responds to, to the Carlson comments, the tourist drama um, says that Boucher's job is safe. So he's basically doing like uh, he's touching all the bases with which, you know, ironically, even though he's being forthright and, and honest and talking to the fans through the media, it's, it's kind of uh Ironic that he's that he he has to talk about like ten things because that's how many problems he has to deal with, um, and this is in the middle of the season. Um, and then about a week ago at uh, the outdoor game, you know, a very like uh, it's a put in for for a good news weekend. It's it's so easy f- to just you know the media comes in and it's like oh wow look at look at this scene look at you know they're gonna play a game outdoors all the memories coming back that's sort of like you know warm and fuzzy stuff. Um, and then he comes out and, and he, he holds a media scrum and compares uh, the Senators to McDonald's. <laughs> not, not, not necessarily uh, for any reason other than that. Uh, he says, if you have a McDonald's and, and things aren't working in one location, you move it. So he sort of like, uh, not threatens to move, but says, hey, moving, this is the quote, if it becomes a disaster, yes, he is thinking about uh, moving the team. So that obviously is going to rock the boat and, and cause a lot of havoc and in uh in the in the local fan base you know on twitter you know it ends up being actually a hashtag melnick out hashtag melnick out uh started trending uh gary bettman's got a douse the fire like this team is 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 a bottom 10 team in attendance which is crazy for for being in canada um but you know they have their arena issues it's in it's in a suburb um they they don't have a new arena proposed or sorry built or, or being built downtown that's not a hundred percent it might happen but not a hundred percent um they're they're one of the worst teams in the eastern conference right now they can't score goals and they can't stop the other teams from scoring uh the Duchesne tourist trade while you know the jury is still out for a couple of years on on a true winner or loser looks like a win 
uh, for Nashville and for Colorado and not for Ottawa. So, like, you run down the list in the last, like, month or so has just been, you know, a gong show in, in, in Senators land. So you hope for the fan base and for the players and whoever else that it's a slow news day once in a while. I hope that Eric Carlson plays for someone else at some point because I feel like it's just been one guy. It's like uh, when LeBron was in Cleveland the first time and it was just like Mo Williams was the second best player on the team or <laughs> yeah. It was just like, okay, well, LeBron's got to do everything every night. And then when he doesn't win, it gets pinned on him anyway, which I don't think happened to Carlson last year because he was so spectacular that no one could blame him. Uh, but in years past, it was, oh, he doesn't play good enough defense or whatever. It was just like, okay, are you serious? Uh, he's you know not the only player on the team, but he's carrying a pretty mediocre roster. And I remember last year for a piece I did, I looked at, their numbers with him on and off the ice. And it was just insane. I mean, in the playoffs last year, it was they're scoring 70% of the goals when he's on the ice and 30% when he's off or something really, really insane. And I just imagine him playing with some other really top-end players somewhere. I don't know, you know, with the salary cap that gets really hairy, uh, trying to figure out where that could be. But, um, man, if he ever got an opportunity to play with a stacked team, I, I just feel like he would maximize um, all the talent that he has and have incredible numbers and win a Stanley Cup and all the things that he deserves. I mean, he is the best defenseman, I think, him and Drew Doughty, the best defenseman of a generation here. And, you know, Doughty's got his cups because he played with the great team. And, you know, you'd like to see Eric Carlson have the same thing because in hockey we just value that extremely high when it gets to the end of a guy's career, it's not just, oh, how many points did he have? It's also how many cups. And this is a very deserving player and not deserving of the situation that he's put in there. And the, the Duchesne trade, um, you know, if your ownership is struggling with money and isn't going to be able to re-sign him long term, then that's going to look like yeah. a really wacky move. Because I mean, my assumption when they made it was, okay, well, they'll just re-sign him long-term, and then they'll build the rest of the roster out even more with Carlson and, and him as being the, the big money guys. But if they're not going to be able to do that and they lose both, I mean, what, what is going to happen to that franchise? I mean, you, you might be looking at years and years of turmoil, and I don't know if there's uh, an easy solution there. Yeah, I 100% agree. This team is uh, is not much is not much without Eric Carlson like you see it when he's out of the lineup you see it when he's off the ice as you alluded to last year in the playoffs um and so 2019 he's he's a free agent and you you wonder if something happens before then whether it's a trade or you know he just outright says I'm leaving um so well that's one story that I'm like interested in monitoring out of Ottawa the other ones are sort of just noise and I just see it and I go I'm glad I'm not an Ottawa Senators fan because it sounds really stressful um but a a player that is going to free agency presumably um at the end of this season in the summer is uh, John Tavares another and I wanted to talk about the New York Islanders because I think I want to give them good health I want to give them just a smooth sailing to the end of the season and into the playoffs and maybe run win a round or two because uh for their sake I mean I think this year has sealed it for uh, a very high chance of, of Tavares returning, and he hasn't come out and said that, and this is you know me just reading into things. Um, but um, their top six is finally good. 
you know, for, for years and years. You talk about Carlson being on an island. It's been worse with, with Tavares, pun intended, um, him being with the Islanders <laughs> and not having, you know, any help at all. But but this year, it, it's him, Anders Lee, and, and, and Josh Bailey just killing it. Uh, Bailey has 45 points, Tavares 45, Lee 36. And then their second line, Ladd, Barzell, and Aberly 36, 32, 25. Just having like it's 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 insane the the difference of just having, you know, you know Bar Barzell and Eberly inserted into that top six. It just the 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 reverberation of that is, is massive, um, and uh, they could use a better second half from Halak and, and Grice. They've had really bad goaltending this year, uh, both either below or or just above nine hundred save percentage. Um, but the real the real big one was was them. Um, moving back uh, to Long Island, uh, or they will be in the future, uh, with with the Belmont Park uh, site that they've they've apparently uh, locked up, and and they'll have a new rink soon. Um, so if if they make the playoffs and and win a round or two, I just I can't see a scenario where Tavares leaves if if the Islanders are willing to fork over the money because. As everyone in the media has said over the last couple of years, this guy is loyal. This guy wants to stay in New York, but it's a matter of the team, you know, uh, medium halfway and actually, you know, putting together a decent roster, you know, having a stable ownership group or, and having, you know, a rink to go to, that that sort of thing. And it's all sort of coming together this year. So if they have good health, um, then I think it, it all works out for, for the Islanders. When he single-handedly beat the uh, Florida Panthers in a playoff series, I feel like it was a, a similar effect to Eric Carlson, yeah. where maybe we had said, oh, you know, Tavares, he's a one-dimensional player or something like that. He's just a one-dimensional scorer. And then it was like, okay, I don't think anybody can say that anymore about John Tavares. And this year to see him have the year that he's having from uh, the points standpoint, kind of bouncing back there, I mean, that's the type of skill level he is. I would wish them a save. Just get a save now and then. One I mean, save. Just, just one. Just yeah. One <laughs> big save from either Yaroslav Alak or Thomas Grice or anyone else who they could trade for or anything who can play the position of goaltender because it's just been, I mean, really for uh, Tavares' entire career, it's just been, uh, you know, this guy or that guy come and go. Somebody's hot for a little while and then, they fall apart. I mean, they just have not been able to sustain the goaltending. And maybe part of that is who they have on defense. Um, you know, I mean, they've got kind of uh, some risk takers on defense, which I think helps pay off when it comes to the scoring, but also leads to, you know, the two-on-ones and things like that. Um, so that could be a bit of a problem. But uh, Halak and Grice have been just unacceptably bad. I also wish them um, ice time for Josh Hosang. Like, <laughs> I want to see more. I want to see him in the NHL, and I want to see him playing yeah. regularly because I think he's just an exciting player to watch and to have around. And uh, I think he had, you know, a little bit of success and a little bit of failure early on, but he could be a really, really fun player. You mentioned the Oilers earlier. Do you want to pivot and, and talk about them? And uh, I think I only have the Leafs left, so you can go. Uh, we'll go to the West for a bit here. All right, how many have I done? I I've lost. I've lost. I think here. you have two, two or one, three left. I wrote down for a one for every Western Conference team, and then I was just going to pick the the strongest ah. one. So I've lost track of how many I had. Uh, well, uh, let's go with um, another sort of downtrodden Canadian team. And sure. The Edmonton Oilers. Uh, I wish them a general manager who won't trade away their top pick that they're going to have this year. <laughs> Whoever it is that they draft in the top 
five, top three, whatever, if they win the lottery. Uh, I wish them a general manager who will not trade that player away. Can you imagine what this team would be like, this Edmonton team, if they had Taylor Hall, Connor McDavid, and Jordan Eberle playing together, and Leon Dreisaitl, and not Milan Lucic, who is past his prime now. And, I mean, okay, Larson was good for them last year, uh, and I think he did make a positive impact for them last year, but not Taylor Hall level. Taylor Hall is superstar, number one overall pick, and a guy who got blamed for a lot of really bad years when it's not the guy who deserves to get blamed for those bad years. If they, instead of having players like Mike Camilleri filling out the roster, you know, Pulley coming up and Nugent Hopkins, um, I think that they would have been so much more dangerous than they are uh, this year. And you add uh, McDavid to some talent like that, uh, I think it would have been unstoppable to have he and Taylor Hall playing together. And instead, now it's the Connor McDavid show and everyone else is uh, not very good. Uh, and that's and that's just unfortunate. And I can't believe that a general manager who traded away Tyler Sagan and Taylor Hall has his job still. It just it completely blows my mind. And then a guy who gave Milan Lucic, a guy who wasn't a good skater five years ago, a, a contract through 2023. I mean, it's just tear your hair out because you'd love to see Edmonton be a, a, a challenger again year after year, but everything hasn't gone their way this year, and here they are back at the bottom. Yeah, it really boggles the mind. And uh, to support your point about having those high-end forwards and, and imagining what they could all be like together, I wonder if, if, you know, if you look at the Pittsburgh Penguins and what they've done, they've almost ignored defensemen in terms of acquiring, mm-hmm. you know, anyone high-end. Like, they, they've had Chris Letang for... I don't know, he's probably close to 10 years now in the league, if if my memory serves me correctly. Like, they've focused on their forwards. That's all they've done. They've always had good goaltending between Fleury and Murray, so that helps. Um, and, and the Oilers, we know, as, as have Cam Talbot. Hasn't had a great year, but I think he's he's a quality goaltender. Like, I, I wonder if that's a better strategy. And, and it kind of relates to the Leafs and what I was going to talk about, that if you have these high-end forwards and if you have depth at forward – and you, your D is just okay, I think you can get away with that in the NHL. I think you can win a lot of games. Um, and and the Oilers kind of did the opposite. They, they made uh, an overreaction trade or whatever you want to call it, overcompensation trade, the, the Hall and Larson one. There's nothing wrong with Adam Larson, but he's, not, he's in no way a good comparable to Taylor Hall on any level. Um, and then Eberle, that trade was weird. Strom has not worked out. He's never, he's never looked like... Um, a top six NHL or in any spot that he's been put in. Um, so you go you go up and down the list and and you think, I don't know where this where, where this Oilers team is going. You know, at the start of the season, they like I don't know if you if, if this was happening in the states if you were exposed to it, but a lot of people were saying they that they might make the Stanley Cup final. I thought that they would make the playoffs and go on a run. I wasn't giving them Stanley Cup final uh, prestige, but I thought this team is. This team is going to be unstoppable to, to some degree on some nights with McDavid and Dreisaitl just one-two punch down the middle. Like, how do you compete with that? Sort of a a, a poor man's version of, of Crosby and Malkin. Um, but it just hasn't worked out this year. And and we'll see what the, what their real um, 
the real self, for lack of a better phrase, is uh, as the year goes along and maybe into next year because um, I don't know if, if, if this first half of the season or, or almost first half um, is indicative of, of what they really are. I mean, I thought it was possible that they could be in the Stanley Cup final. I mean, after what we saw last year, you always expect a team with young superstars to take the next step. But, uh, you know, maybe maybe them not believing that Darnell Nurse would be their top defenseman caused part of that overreaction. But you're totally right. I mean, when it comes to spending and assets, things like that, I mean, if you're giving away a guy who can score a point per game and is one of the top even-strength scorers in the NHL and a former number one overall pick who's still in his prime for a second-pair caliber defenseman, you have lost that trade on the day that it happens, on the minute that it happens. And then, you know, you've got Andre Sequeira, good player, $5.5 million, not worth that. You know, I mean, uh, Chris Russell, like he's highly debated over uh, with, you know, uh, analytics people and things like that. So he's probably not as bad as the analytics people say, uh, because I think they miss out. They miss a lot on guys like that. And I think that he's probably not anywhere near as good as Edmonton views him. That's not a $4 million player. It's like maybe a million dollar player or $2 million player to, to fill out your second, third pair, uh, you know, and, and so spending that much on this group of guys um, and then, Spending on Lucic, I mean, the, the Lucic deal was another one that you just it, you lost the day that it happened. The minute that it happened, you knew like this is this is not going to work out a couple years from now. And to your point about Ryan Strom, I saw him when the Islanders sent him down to the AHL a few years ago. He had been up and they weren't happy with him, and they sent him down. And there are very few players who I've ever seen try less than he did in the game that I saw. Really? And I thought, okay, I would never want this guy. I would never trade for this guy because he's sitting there. He reminded me. Do you remember when Tim Connolly played for the Toronto Marlies? Very, very, but I do remember the situation. Like I don't, I don't remember the particulars, but I remember that he was with the Leafs and and was disgruntled when he got sent down. Right. He got yeah. He got sent down uh, because uh, I think he it was a cap casualty and they didn't yeah. like how he's playing. Whatever. So Connolly was a longtime NHL player who got sent down, and I don't know if he actually pushed off with either skate through a whole game. He just slid around the ice for a while, didn't come anywhere close to hitting anyone or making a play, and then just game over. That was how Ryan Strom looked, and at least Connolly's argument could have been that he was uh, you know, at the end of his career. Ryan Strom was 23 or 22 at the time, and that's the guy that you trade – I understand trading Jordan Everly because you've screwed yourself with bad money decisions, but I don't understand trading him for a guy that uh, was consistently disappointing and only really had a, a short run of good five-on-five scoring. I mean, just one baffling move after the next. And, it, you know, it's kind of – it reminds me of Buffalo with Jack Eichel, where they got this general manager who made a bunch of really bad decisions and set them back quite a ways. And I, I think that that same thing has happened with Edmonton here, and they've got to make a change quick and, and start going in the right direction with some of these moves, or you're going to end up where, like we're talking about, McDavid like Carlson. Like, oh, well, he's great, but his team's bad, and he can't ever win. Yeah. I brought I brought up the Leafs uh, a few minutes back, and let, let me since since they're on my mind, let me just, let me just talk about them, and then we'll, we'll get back to the West, and you can finish up because they're my last team. 
I, w- I think I want to give them for Christmas a shot of adrenaline, and I don't know if I want to give it to the players or Mike Babcock. Like, it's it's kind of uh, it's hard to figure out, and I'm sort of workshopping this uh, as we go along here. But they they haven't played with the same pace as they did last year, and I don't know. Uh, the numbers aren't like super telling. I mean, they they, they tell a bit of, of the story. Like, uh, they're they're Corsi four per sixty, so shot attempts per per sixty minutes. Um, Last year they were first in the league. This year they're twelfth, um, but the actual raw numbers aren't, aren't aren't a huge difference. So you wonder, okay, is the league just just changing? Um, you watch it, you know, the eye test. It seems like the the neutral zone's getting clogged up. Maybe teams have game planned better against them. So so that factors in. Um, but I guess what it comes down to, though, from my perspective, is the way that they're built. And, and this is sort of what I was talking about before. Um, they have high-end guys on, on offense. Uh, they have three lines that can score. A fourth line, that's that's okay. It's whatever. Um, their defense is, is I'd say, league average. When, when, when you look across the league, I think their, their bottom pair is below league average. But their, their top four is about league average. Nothing special. Um, goaltending, good. So with, with, those, with those sort of uh, grades, I think, you know, you just, you just you push ahead and you trade scoring chances every night, all night, and you try to run and gun a bit. Um, and it's just been a weird year because they've actually won a lot, and the underlying numbers don't look good. Um, they've won a lot without Austin Matthews in the lineup, so that sort of doesn't make any sense. Um, there's certain players that that have gone on, uh, you know, pointless streaks like like Nazem Kadri. As I think, um, as of as of our this episode, I think it's nine games without a point. And then you see Nylander's gone on a drought. Uh, Marner, like, they're sort of winning when they shouldn't be. And I wonder if a part of it is is just they're overthinking uh, the situation and they should just let sort of their skill speak for itself. Um, and I don't know, or maybe some of it comes down to the fact that that you know it keeps it keeps piling up these games without Matthews. I think uh, he's already missed ten. It could be even even more. Um, so I mean, that's 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 almost like a third year season now without Matthews. So maybe that that's a big part of it uh, when you look at the numbers and and see the difference because. Um, I think it's almost uh, a consensus now that he's a top 10 player in the league and that if you take out your number one center, a guy that you can rely on, um, you know, from, from puck drop to the final buzzer, that that's going to make a huge difference. So uh, with the Leafs, it's more, it's more of a, like everything is going fine. Uh, you know, they're, they're high in the standings. Uh, th- there's no major warts. Uh, uh, their goaltending has been great. Like you go up and down the list, a lot of, a lot of things checked off, but just, I don't know, a little, a little jolt of, of energy in regards to to pushing the play, I think would be would be my gift. Yeah, I was going to wish them Austin Matthews back. Well, yeah, that's the easy back one. To himself, because I mean, I think with him in there, uh, they're one of the best teams in the league, and it probably solves a lot of the problems that you brought up. And and I've heard uh, Babcock's post games just you know shredding their efforts and all those sorts of things, and that's kind of what he does. And he's not wrong for doing that for having a standard for what he expects for all of his players uh, on a team that has Stanley Cup aspirations. But when Matthews was in there, 26 points in 26 games, plus 13, which, you know, plus minus, not a great stat. I'll just add that. But, I mean, you know, he was their best on the team. He was dominating when they were out there. 
and uh, you know, great on the power play, getting a ton of shots. He had 80 shots in 26 games. So I mean, he was just playing fantastic hockey. And when he gets back, I, I'm sure he'll go back into that. And if you get Mitch Marner going uh, like he has been these last couple of games, I mean, his shooting percentage, even after scoring a couple of goals, is up to 5.4 percent. <laughs> so I think that uh, Marner will probably have a, a pretty good run in the second half. Would be my guess based on that. And, uh, you know, maybe the same thing goes for Nylander, who's got a low shooting percentage, too. So I think um, with, with that, it's just wait for Matthews to come back and then uh, profit. Well, <laughs> that's, the, the, that's the way I look at it. And, of course, just, you know, Babcock is, is not going to be happy. But, yeah, I mean, if you take the number one center away from almost any team, they're going to look a heck of a lot different. I think Babcock has tried to adapt a little bit to that by playing a little more defensive and playing a little little tougher or hoping for to play a little tougher, and that's not really their game. They've got to play that up-tempo because of the defensemen that they have and, and race up and down the ice, and that's when they're the most dangerous. you got to have Austin Matthews to do that. Yeah, and just, just a final thought on the Leafs. They're, last year was all gravy, right? It was, you know, coming into the year, was all, it was, okay, we'll, we'll see how these rookies do. I mean, uh, they might contribute, whatever blow the doors off the league. Um, but still, like, everything was just, you know, you walk in the dressing room, everyone's smiling, even not after a loss, but, like, you know, say they're, they've are they lost two in a row, no one's, you know, being uh, grumpy to the media, that that sort of thing. Like, the vibe around the team was was very positive. Um, and this year they've hit a bit of adversity. I'm not saying there's, there's issues, uh, you know, long-term issues, but maybe that's just what it comes down to is, like, this team, uh, as it's built – is, is pretty similar to last year. You know, you add in the Ron Hainseys and, and Patrick Marlowe's and Dominic Moore's of the world. But more or less, it's like the same group. Um, and last year went went off with, with more or less without a hitch. Like, maybe this is just them dealing with, with, with problems um, and, and, and the, the, they'll sort of come out the other side presumably better. Um, so uh, let, let's talk about a couple of your teams. Uh, I know you have a list. Uh, why don't you rattle off a couple teams and, and we'll be able to wrap it up. Well, I, I give you the uh, the last one that I was going to have for just you know my uh, more detailed thoughts. Yeah. Just uh, the Nashville Predators, and I wish them another Stanley Cup appearance because they deserve it and they're better than last year. I think that they're the best team in the West, and uh, the the fact that they were able to acquire Kyle Turris and you know pick up Nick Benino in free agency to to fill out their roster a little bit more, um, you know, with with players coming up to. And Philip Forsberg uh, established himself last year during the playoffs as a totally legit superstar NHL player. Uh, and then, of course, P.K. Subban, one of my favorite players to watch in the NHL. They deserve to be right back there. They are top in scoring. They are top in goals against. They are top in power play. They're at the top in penalty kill. And last year, you know, they uh, had that time where Subban, Subban was out and, you know, they started to – to slip a little bit in the standings, and they sort of had to, you know, just squeak their way into the playoffs and then made that run. Uh, this year they're at the very top where they should be, and I think they are deserving. You never know what can happen when it comes to the playoffs. We see great teams get beat all the time, but uh, I think they should be at the at the top. And some just some of the other ones, I wish Jonathan Quick credit from the analytics community ah. for being a great goaltender. Yeah, he's a uh, take on that one, but it's it's always frustrated me that Quick gets 
uh, criticized by the analytics community and called overrated and things like that, I think he's a great goaltender and he's played super well so far this year. I think with him, it's a classic case of um, so much talk about him being overrated that now he's underrated. That happens with a lot of players. (laughs) It's like, you know, you hear for years and years, overrated, overrated, and you're like, okay, I could see that. Like, okay, whatever. And then, you know, they start playing well. It's like you're hesitant to give them credit or something, right? So... I like that one that you threw out there. Um, yeah, well, I mean, Shea Weber was the same way. Yeah. Like, okay, I mean, if you're if you're telling me that Shea Weber is not a great defenseman, I legitimately cannot trust your opinion on hockey. Like he's like if you want to say that you know maybe the the way that he was asked to play uh, impacted what his course he was, or maybe he doesn't have a like someone like Dowdy or Carlson that. They're basically these perfect players. They have yeah. these great skill sets. They could do anything, you know, especially Dowdy on the defensive end, on the offensive end. And maybe uh, Shea Weber isn't the type of guy to pick the puck up and fly up the ice or something like that. Uh, but, you know, a closer look at his numbers should have made it pretty obvious that uh, it was his usage that was really causing that coursey issue and not that he was secretly terrible. I mean, that was just one of the most, frustrating uh, arguments to have and the same thing with Jonathan Quick that if there's if there's a goaltender who can have a 946 save percentage in route to a Stanley Cup and be consistently average or above average every year of his career outside of the time he had back surgery and, and you're going to tell me that's not a great goalie I, I don't I don't know how to deal with that um, so that's that's one for them San Jose get them some some scoring in their top six to replace Patrick Marlowe Calgary, resolve your freaking arena situation. Tired <laughs> of hearing about this. I know. Um, Anaheim, stop getting hurt. Like just you know, Carl uh, Kessler. I mean, and uh, Getzlaff got hurt at one point, and uh, Botten into um, right. He was hurt. Lindholm was hurt too. I think so. Like just ev- everybody getting injured in Anaheim. So don't play. Don't don't have to play Derek Grant as your top center anymore. Yeah. Um, Arizona, just everything. You need everything. Anything you can find. <laughs> it's like um, when you go into the store, maybe you're like a kind of a cheap person looking for presents, and you just look in every bin for like the cheapest thing someone might, might like, and then you get it for them. Arizona needs all of that. Or what? Or when you, you go to the grocery everything. store and you're starving, so you're literally just taking everything off the <laughs> shelf because you just want to eat it right away, and you're not thinking about the future. You're just like, yeah. Uh, that, that's a better comparison. I have... Um, do you guys have Target in Canada? Uh, we used to. It went out of business. Okay, so you know what it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, the, I've i been so hungry before that I've eaten, like, fried chicken from Target. Ooh, that's um, a low that's a so, low life yeah. uh, that you're living there. Yeah, yeah. I am I mean, it wasn't that bad, I guess. <laughs> anyway, so uh, chicken from Target is what Arizona <laughs> needs, I think. Okay. Um, no, I mean... I would say patience on on that one, but I mean they were supposed to take a, a big step here, and, and they're. It's not just that they haven't taken a big step; it's that they've been abominable, and and that I I didn't expect. I expected them to take a step. Uh, St. Louis, better health, and maybe a power play goal, and Dallas. I think Dallas could be a legit Stanley Cup team if they get a little more consistent. I mean, on some nights they are fantastic, and other nights you're like, oh man, I don't know, and uh, Winnipeg. If they sustain goaltending, they're a legit cup-caliber team because Shifley is 
the real deal, and uh, that that young core of stars and scorers is, is really impressive. So that's my list. Yeah, I like this uh, rattling off of of uh, of gifts at the end. You're just like Santa with an endless uh, a bottomless pit bag. <laughs> You're welcome, everyone. <laughs> All right, Matt. Uh, let's let's plug your stuff. How, how can people uh, find you on Twitter, and and how can they read your your fine work? Uh, usually, uh, ESPN Insider is the the place to go to read my hockey work. If you are um, an American football fan and you're interested in the Minnesota Vikings, who uh, have a chance to be a Super Bowl contender this year, then uh, 1500 ESPN is where I cover the Minnesota Vikings mostly. And as we get later in the season, I'll start covering the Wild a lot more. But uh, for now, the focus is on the 11-3 and Vikings. So uh, either one of those places is good. 11-3, and that's impressive. I don't pay attention to the NFL, I'll be honest. Yeah, it's, it's always funny when I talk to my friends or colleagues from Canada, and they're like, so what's, uh, what's going on with uh, the NFL this year? And it's like... In America, uh, everyone knows what's going on in the NFL all the time. Yeah, well, so don't get me wrong. Like, there's a lot of NFL fans in Canada, but I just personally, like, I I'm just not tuned in. I I, I can't pay attention to to for a full I don't football know, man. game. When the Buffalo Bills used to go up to Toronto to play a game, yes, against, that was you know, a disaster. The Dolphins or something. I almost forgot about it was that. Bad. They would. What would they have? It like was, ten thousand people there, and just a terrible atmosphere. Yeah, they'd be cheering just for every score. And, like, you know, there'd be just, you know, Atlanta Falcons jerseys when it's Bills Jets and stuff like that. And <laughs> it was, I mean, not to not to shortchange the people who do love the NFL there in Canada, but that sort of atmosphere. And it probably didn't help that the Bills were horrendous uh, through that entire stretch for the most part. But uh, that entire atmosphere was just, just, just bad. And uh, maybe the Canadian people can... Uh, I guess they stick to the CFL. <laughs> All right, Matt. Uh, you have a happy holidays, Merry Christmas, whatever uh, whatever greeting you would like to hear, and uh, we'll do this again sometime. All right. Sounds great, man. Thanks for having me.